The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Don't miss the morning blaze with Doc. We had a guy on yesterday talking about this stuff in the book. And guess what? Yeah, these things happen. People groom kids online. Sexual uh, um, human trafficking is an issue. Those are serious. Your kid is more likely to be injured in an automobile accident today than ever have anything sexual happen to them online in the social media that you are monitoring. The Morning Blaze, weekday morning, 6 to 9 Eastern, on the Blaze Radio Network. Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back this week to another episode of Reform This. Always great to be with you. And if you've listened before, thanks for coming back to the place where we try to keep America safe. As a Muslim, I realize that uh, this battle needs to start with us, that uh, never, I think, can America be safe unless patriotic Muslims, unless those who love freedom and liberty, begin to stand up within the Muslim community against the Islamists. And week to week, I bring you the battlefronts, and I come to you from the battlefronts to give you some of the story that you just won't hear elsewhere. And uh, you're all my partners in this. And I think some of the conversations we take, the few minutes here to share, are ones that you can take with your friends, with your colleagues, with other Americans, uh, folks you may know, Muslims you may know that may not be aware of the podcast, may not be aware of the issues that you and I talk about. So without further ado, what are we talking about this week? Well, I had the opportunity, the distinct honor of testifying this week for the House government oversight committee and uh, on government reform and the national security subcommittee of that and this week the committee decided to focus on the muslim brotherhood Uh, they uh, will hopefully use the information that we testified to uh, to begin to shift the focus not only on the muslim brotherhood but to hopefully designate many of their arms a terrorist organization and i'm going to get to the some of the details of that You may have seen some of the testimony. You certainly didn't see it on major news networks, did you? Well, why not? Uh, (laughs) Nobody wants to cover it unless it's a few days after a terror attack. All the pieces that fit together should be part of the narrative of what we're understanding in this new Cold War of the 21st century, even hot war, warm war against radical Islamism, only seems to be punctuated post-terror attacks. And there's no greater example of the whack-a-mole program that is countering radical Islamism than the fact that we continue to deal with the downstream byproducts of the Muslim Brotherhood, and yet once they change their name to Al-Qaeda, Islamic Jihad, Hamas, whatever it might be, we then say, oh, the Muslim Brotherhood has nothing to do with it because it has moderate, peaceful wings. When in fact the secret committee, its entire project from its outset was based on supremacism, on militancy. So I'm going to first, in this first segment, lay out for you some of the case I made to Congress. And then once we're all on the same page there, I want to spend some time, uh, and I was honored to be joined by Jonathan Chancer from the uh, Foundation of Defense of Democracy. 
joined with also Hillel Fredkin, uh, who is uh, one of the preeminent scholars on Islam out of the Hudson Institute. I've known them for some time, especially Hillel, and I have uh, uh, been a part of many a panel over the years. And uh, these institutes uh, that understand the threat, understand the value of working with Muslim reformers, Muslims who reject Islamism, that uh, there is nothing that does our work more harm than the inordinate acceptance and inordinate recognition of tribal oppressive communities like the Muslim Brotherhood, ideologies like theirs, that then tells the rest of the Muslim community that, well, these are your representatives, so deal with them. These are the organized mafia lords of your society, so deal with them, because that's who we're going to recognize. We don't, we don't even want to recognize the anti-Islamists because the Muslim Brotherhood and their petrodollar sugar daddies in the Middle East seem to only recognize them. And as I said at the hearing, it's only been a few months that the Saudis have finally begun to separate themselves, as have other Gulf states, uh, the UAE and others, have begun to finally declare the Brotherhood a terror organization and begin to cut off their stream. But the bottom line is, is how is it that the Salafi jihadis of the Saudis had been working for so long with the Muslim Brotherhood entities because they share common ideology? common desire for a caliphate, a common desire for an Islamic state across the world. And now they cut it off because that monster they helped create is a viral grassroots monster that rejects monarchs, that rejects corporate Islamists, and especially rejects Salafi jihadists. They want Islamist jihadists. So, Aside from the other two conservative uh, Republican witnesses, uh, there was a Democratic witness, Daniel Benjamin, who, you know, listen, I knew they were going to try to argue that uh, the Muslim Brotherhood should not be designated a terror organization. But I, 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 you are, hold on your seats, ladies and gentlemen. You are not going to believe what this ambassador, Daniel Benjamin, who hails from Brookings, Harvard, former counterterrorism head for the Obama administration what he talked and what he said about the Muslim Brotherhood he'd whisper that well we, we they don't like us and we don't like them but he'd say they're not a terror organization I'll get to some of the details I, I don't want to if you didn't see the hearing then uh, I don't want to uh, um, spoil it for you but it is craziness uh, utter craziness so first, how much of a threat is the Brotherhood? Let me give you some of my my main points that I want you to take away from this conversation. First of all, the Muslim Brotherhood, where does it fit in the tree of Islam? Now I, as many of you approach Islam, would like you to separate into the secularists, who include autocrats, that are oppressive military secular autocrats, and then the liberal thinkers, who are really our only allies in the Muslim community. We can talk about numbers some other time. And then the theocrats, the Islamists. Now, within the Muslim community entirely, whether you're talking secular or Islamist, there's a division of Sunni and Shia, sectarian divisions from the root of Islam's history. At its outset, there was this sectarian division of Sunni-Shia, 
Shia believing in the descendancy of the family of the Prophet, especially from Ali, the fourth caliph. So that's Sunni Shia division. The Shia militant Islamists hatched Khomeinists, and within that terror groups like Hezbollah and other Islamists, like the Shirazis and others. Then you've got the Sunni militants, the Sunnis of the Islamists. And within that is the Muslim Brotherhood, which is the largest global manifestation of political, militant Sunni Islamist groups, hatched by Hassan al-Banna in the early 20th century in 1928. And then you also have Salafi jihadists. The Salafi jihadists reject sort of the political Islam, but they include the Wahhabis and ISIS, Al-Qaeda, and others really have more of a Salafi jihadi mentality and ultimately rejected the Brotherhood's mantras. Third, you have Jamaat Islamiyah, which includes more ethno-culturally the Southeast Asian community, Indo-Pakistani region, hatched by Maulana Modudi, who was a contemporary of Hassan al-Banna and then Sayyid Qutb and ultimately was close to them and went to Pakistan and hatched the same type of political party that became the main competitor to the secular military party in Pakistan. So really everything we say about the Muslim Brotherhood, you need to put in the context of its Sunni Islamist descendancy, its competition with Salafi jihadism, which has a lot of overlap in ideology, and its competition and similarity with Jamaat Islamiyah. So hopefully what we do and what we talk about when it comes to the Muslim Brotherhood, can later apply equally to the Jamaat Islamiyah in Indo-Pakistan region, which has tens if not hundreds of millions of followers, and the Salafi jihadis out of Saudi Arabia and elsewhere. So, the Muslim Brotherhood. It may have some non-violent elements. Bottom line, though, is everywhere you see it operate, it ends up having significant violent streaks, because its clerics, because its leaders, while they supposedly may have eschewed violence in the 70s, they use religion to become political leaders, just as they use violence to become political leaders, just as they use fake affirmations of nonviolence and democracy to assume political leadership. And as Erdogan said, and I've quoted him before here on this program, Recep Erdogan, the head of the AKP, which is the Islamic uh, Justice and Development Party, another term for the Muslim Brotherhood, but this was the Turkish flavor. He said democracy. This is when he was mayor of Istanbul. He said democracy is but a train that you get on and you use until you're done with it and you can get off when you get to the place you need to be. And obviously, as you look at Turkey today, Erdogan appears to have gotten to where he wants to get and is getting off the democracy train as it's turning into one of the most malignant autocracies in the Middle East. So that's sort of the picture of where Sunni Muslim Brotherhood Islamism sits. Its numbers are huge. 90% of the Muslim world is uh, Sunni. Perhaps 30-40% of the Sunnis are Islamists. Large percentage of the Islamists are obviously Muslim Brotherhood. How do we define a terror group? A terror group is a group that believes that non-state actors can use any means possible to target non-combatants or even combatants outside the rules of war. 
in order to advance their supremacist hegemonic aspirations. The Muslim Brotherhood, by anyone who does research, contrary to the lies said by Ambassador Daniel Benjamin and others who want to continue to not label them a terrorist group, the revolving door between the Muslim Brotherhood, Al-Qaeda, ISIS, and others is because of the fact that terrorism is part of their DNA. Now, to then say that all Muslims are monolithic uh, and that uh, this is part of Islam is not only foolhardy, it rejects the millions who went to the streets in Egypt to reject the Brotherhood. It rejects the millions going into the streets in Iran now to reject the theocrats or the Khomeinis. It rejects the fact that as in all faiths, Muslims also have an ability, a time in which we can reform and may reform. When we come back, we'll continue the conversation on whether the Muslim Brotherhood, what it is, why it should be a terrorist organization, what are the details you should know briefly in understanding why I testified to Congress on this very fact this week. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. We'll be right back. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. Breaching the fault lines of today. The Blaze Radio Network. The Glenn Beck Program. Wouldn't it be interesting if Trump wins re-election and then Dwayne Johnson wins in 2024? He's running. Look at the mm-hmm. roles he's playing. He's saving, you know, people from everything. He's becoming this, this action hero that is really funny, and yet he's still strangely kind of relatable. You like him. He's the perfect candidate. We, you know, if we're looking for candidates, they're just celebrities without any experience. I mean, I it's mean, crazy. The Glenn Beck Program. the fault lines of today. This is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. I'm giving you a little taste of some of the testimony I gave Congress this week. And I'm going to give my perspective. In the last two segments, I'm going to give you the horrific perspective of Brookings, of Ambassador Daniel Benjamin, of the left, of Democrats, when they had one person to pick on a panel dedicated to looking at whether the Muslim Brotherhood should be named a terrorist organization, this is the representative they gave. We'll talk about that next segment. I'm going to lay sort of the groundwork of my beliefs about the Brotherhood. You know, the Muslim Brotherhood basically is a terrorist organization, by definition, Elements of them have used terror in order to achieve their non-state actions against innocent civilians outside the rules of war. They are an organization that has a mission, that has leadership, that has a network, and that uses terrorism to achieve its means. I don't care if some of its arms condemn terrorism. I don't care if some of its arms and leaders have at times said they are against it. They've also been quoted repeatedly as the supreme guide of the Muslim Brotherhood. Now, the antagonist against this idea on the Democratic side said that, well, they have a shoot in the 70s. And I kept telling him, Muhammad Beatty, the supreme guide of the Muslim Brotherhood, sermonized 
Just like Al-Qaeda's 1996 declaration of war in September 2010, Beatty said, resistance is the only solution against the Zio-American arrogance and tyranny. Resistance can only come from fighting and understanding that the improvement and change that the Muslim nation seeks can only be attained through jihad and sacrifice and by raising a jihadi generation that pursues death just as the enemies pursue life. He also predicted the imminent downfall of the U.S., saying that the U.S. is now experiencing the beginning of its end and is heading towards its demise. Barry Rubin at the time said that the Muslim Brotherhood's leader has endorsed anti-American jihad and virtually identical to Al-Qaeda's ideology. And we sit and debate whether the Muslim Brotherhood is a terror organization. That's what its supreme guide said. And these guys wanted to vie to be part of of the democratic uh, democratic process. I'll get to the links in a bit between Al-Qaeda, Muslim Brotherhood, and others. But, you know, to me, there is nothing, there is nothing more pro-Muslim than identifying the Islamist theocrats as being radicals, which gives us more oxygen that are anti-Islamists, that are anti-terrorism, but also pro-freedom and pro-liberty. If you really want, I mean, I, I th- at the end of the day, listen, I think there is nothing more bigoted than saying that the most horrifically backwards elements of your community deserve to be respected because they eschew violence on Monday, but not on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. At least it's one day out of the week that they eschew violence. So therefore, we should work with them because your society can't do any better, because your faith can't do any better. That is an insult as an American and also as a Muslim. Because on the left, they say that the right is intolerant of Muslims, that they're bigoted against us. And yet, they, on the left, the Daniel Benjamins from Brookings of the world, and the Democrats who put them up, continue to say that we should recognize their their taqiyya, their lying about their positions about terrorism, because it is better than the Al-Qaeda's, because they have a common enemy. My response to them is, as a Syrian-American, there is nothing more offensive than to say, for example, that you're going to support Assad, who uses chemical weapons, who, who uses uh, um, uh, killing machines, genocidal approach to the Syrian population because he's fighting a common enemy of ISIS. I have no, I, I don't know of hardly any Americans that I trust and respect who would ever say that somehow we should support Assad. And yet, this should not be insulting that we should support the Brotherhood as a option because they also fight al-Qaeda and others. They're not fighting al-Qaeda in Syria. Jabhat al-Nusra and Harar al-Sham, all al-Qaeda offshoots, are working closely with the Brotherhood because they share a common enemy. But they certainly don't share our lens, our approach to society, who we are. They're not our allies. Two gangs fighting one another and, the, and, and uh, two mafia families, we then take the side of one versus the other. Sure, the FBI and others might do some undercover work and infiltrate them, but we don't openly, publicly, through 
messaging take the side of one mafia family over the other and that's what these are these are islamist mafia outgrowths tribal outgrowths of ideologies that simply you're dancing on the head of a pin by saying that somehow they are different and the links by the way between the muslim brotherhood and al-qaeda in syria i just mentioned to you in yemen there is nothing that personifies the revolving door between al-qaeda and the muslim brotherhood than more than sheikh zindani in yemen he was not only a member of the brotherhood's al-islah party he was a member of al-qardawi's international union of muslim scholars the union of the good hamas fundraising syndicate and was identified as a mentor of osama bin laden and an advisor to aqap in 2013. here's a guy that had all these hats that didn't seem to be estranged by them and at the end of the day at the end of the day ladies and gentlemen if the brotherhood is so non-violent Where's their reams of intellectual fatwas, religious rulings against their own leadership, against the use of violence that would then teach their youth not to become blithering, violent barbarians? Yet Hamas to this day shows videos that are radicalizing four and five-year-olds. Hamas is the brotherhood. Benjamin tried to testify this week in Congress that, well, Hamas has become an, a, a, a radical offshoot. And yet, we're supposed to say that the Brotherhood in Egypt should be allowed to use democracy. But Hamas, that used democracy to get into power, and now is the elected leadership of the Palestinians, who should, by the way, have an Arab Spring against the Hamas leaders if they really want to help their devastating human rights at the hands of their own people but that's an aside so on the one hand i wanted to ask benjamin was interrupted by him and that on the one hand would he then say that because hamas used electoral politics that somehow we should remove their terrorist designation no his response was they are now eschewed from the brotherhood and therefore are arm's length and no longer a, a an active member they are a somehow mutation of them this is the ludicrousness of the democratic position on the muslim brotherhood doesn't make any sense and actually at the end of the day it's, it's a bigoted position that muslims have to be theocrats or have to be run by theocrats in order for us to work with them and if they do have theocrats it is anti-muslim for us to be critical of them and identify them as terrorists which they are I find that as a profoundly anti-Muslim position. The links between the Brotherhood, the Ikhwan, go on. And by the way, I put up the logo at Congress. You look at the logo for the Brotherhood. It has around it in the circle in Arabic the, the motto of the Muslim Brotherhood that jihad is their way, dying by the cause of Allah is their highest attainment that uh, as al-banna wrote allah is our objective the prophet is our leaders the quran is our constitution jihad is our way and death for the sake of god is our highest aspiration that is a moderate organization they still haven't changed swords are still part of their emblem and yet we still continue to have conversations i kept telling them i said okay let's go beyond the sword under the sword is one word in arabic translates to two words in English. The word in Arabic is wa'ida. Wa'ida. 
What does that mean? Be prepared. Make ready. Which then goes on to chapter 8, verse 60, that goes on to talk about making ready for battle, for war, and then leaving it into the hands of God. That you should fight them where you can. That is the passage about make ready. It's not make ready for democracy. It's not make ready for peaceful resolution. Their logo is make ready for war. And you're trying to convince me that the Brotherhood is a peaceful Islamist organization? By the way, that's an oxymoron. There's really no peaceful Islamists. Everything they do is a means to control society through their interpretation of Islam. But yet, their logo is so obvious, it's still put everywhere. After they lost the, the second revolution and lost control of government, you saw their imams, their leaders, unleashing, asking their followers to unleash hell on religious communities to drive sectarian divisions, including as calling for terror acts against churches, against the Coptic community, to the hundreds and thousands. And those acts happened. You saw ISIS and the Sinai, Al-Qaeda and the Sinai, that had been talking to Morsi and, and gave Morsi instructions about working for God through their vision of God then commit acts of terror after the Brotherhood was taken down. So, to say there's no connection is just absolutely insane. And our national security will have nothing that benefits. And the other thing is that the response was somehow that that will fuel further radicalism if we make them a terror group. Seriously, we're still saying that? Everything fuels the brotherhood. They will, if, if our president hiccups in the direction of Israel, then they will uh, uh, fuel terrorism and say we are pro-Israel, etc. They will find everything they can do to drive conspiracy theories and commit acts of terror. So to say that simply designate them will fuel. And also it drives a defensive position. How long are we going to play defense and appease the Islamist brotherhood? Name the mothership. Name the Muslim Brotherhood mothership. A terror organization, you will begin to see improvement in our security apparatus. There might be some acts and frustration, but at the end of the day, once you put out that mothership cancer, that primary cancer, the metastases will wither on the vine. Their to and fro flow of money, their to and fro flow of ideas will begin to decrease, and the Muslim reform movement and reformers will begin to increase in their platforms and their um, bandwidth and in the realization by other Muslims that we are an option that exists versus the monolith which is the Muslim Brotherhood that falsely portrays itself as not a monolith and being supposedly diverse the type of terror, the type of deception is the only diversity they have their mission is the swords the be prepared to wage war at some point which is what they want to do when we come back, we'll talk about the bizarre approach to this issue from the left. This is Zudi Jasser. Breaching the fault lines of today. This is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.
You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser, the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This. We're talking about the Muslim Brotherhood. We're talking about making them a foreign terrorist organization. Let me start this segment before getting into what the Democrats said, the Democrat witness said, and then some of the testimony from members of Congress that are Democrat uh, that uh, tried to get out of Mr. Benjamin. What my recommendations were. My recommendations were, number one, designate the Muslim Brotherhood a foreign terrorist organization beginning in Egypt and then on a country-by-country basis, including Libya, Syria, Kuwait, Jordan, and Yemen branches of the MB as the most obvious follow-ons for my testimony and the details thereon on a country-by-country basis. And I didn't call for an all-out global designation because offices in London, legacy groups like existing in the United States, while they might share a lot of common ideology, as in the Cold War, we have to be careful if they're not explicitly connected to terror, as you can do in all of those countries I listed, it would be run south of the Constitution, I think run contrary to our ability to destroy them if we actually outlaw them. The American Communist Party would have been fueled by officially outlawing them in the Cold War rather than making them radioactive, which I think is what we should do in areas of democracy. Unless they're advocating for terrorism openly, then it's a no-brainer. And, by the way, you can shut them down by virtue of their connections ideologically to Muslim Brotherhood motherships like Egypt's, which will begin to take, make them go away anyway in the West. Second, call out American Muslim leaders to take a position on the Muslim Brotherhood. The evidence that I had provided shows that, and it's an overarching theopolitical ideologies. Will my fellow Muslims, ask them, will, our, will my fellow Muslims be on the side of freedom, liberty, and modernity, or will they be on the side of tyranny of the Muslim Brotherhood? or Turkey's Erdogan's AKP, or the Iranian Khomeini's, or Pakistan Jamaat Islamiyah. Lift up diverse pro-liberty, secular reformist Muslim voices, beginning with our Muslim reform movement. Use that strategy in our declaration to identify allies within the Muslim communities around the world. Third, develop foreign policy mechanisms to disincentivize Qatari and Turkish government facilitation of the Muslim Brotherhood and its global affiliates, including those in the West. Consideration should also include a move to suspend Turkey from NATO. Next, use the MB designation as a template to transition immediately from our currently useless, useless center of gravity of countering violent extremism to a much more practical one of countering Islamism. Next, stop engaging Brotherhood legacy groups in the government and the media and NGOs and recognize their Islamist terror sympathies, misogyny, anti-Semitism, homophobia, and anti-American ideological underpinnings. We must recognize that they are not the only voice for the American Muslim community and communities of Muslims. Last, I ask for the reopening of investigation into CARES radical ties and into the extensive domestic and foreign networks of foundations and poorly hidden branches, and also similarly investigate the Syrian American Council, MUSEID USA of Turkish affiliation, Islamic Relief USA, to name a few organizations with concerning global Islamist ties. That's it. Then comes the Democrats. What did they ask? They brought forward Daniel Benjamin 
from Brookings, Brookings Institute. We're going to talk about Brookings in a second. But what did he have to say? So basically, his main points were the Muslim Brotherhood does not constitute a global threat. Daniel Benjamin, by the way, former ambassador, longtime uh, Democratic uh, tool, I mean, um, leader in uh, foreign policy, including counterterrorism, uh, head for President Obama, I think 2009, 2012. He said the Brotherhood does not constitute a global threat. He said, quote, most of the groups that are said to be Muslim Brotherhood affiliates or franchises support democracy and abjure violence. The Egyptian Brotherhood has forsworn violence since the 70s. And there's no compelling evidence that it has reversed course on this issue. I, I think he's just plain out ignorant or in pure denial or simply lying. The connections are just unfathomable. I told one of the members of Congress that asked me a question. I said, look at every terror act that's happened in the United States. Start with Imam Awlaki, Fort Hood. And ultimately we had to kill this gentleman this barbarian that had declared war in the United States for his continued declarations of war and radicalizing everybody from Nidal Hassan to students and others. This guy came up, born in the U.S., came through the Muslim Student Association, multiple Muslim Brotherhood affiliates that then had him in a conveyor belt towards certain mosques that he then left and went to join Al-Qaeda and became a leading imam in Al-Qaeda through the facilitation of an initiation through the Muslim Brotherhood and his bayat, his loyalty initially to the Brotherhood. As he left Al-Qaeda, did you hear him declare war on the Brotherhood? No, he declared war in the United States. Next, Mr. Benjamin sympathizer and tool of the Muslim Brotherhood said, he said, Hamas is no longer an affiliate of the Brotherhood, and that it would be a mistake to say that it is. He cited Hamas's relationship with Iran and the Saudi and Egyptian engagement with Hamas, and says that Hamas has historically restrained more extreme jihadi groups in Gaza. I, I mean, this bigotry is just unbelievable. Unbelievable that the standard now that Ambassador Benjamin and others are applying to the Muslim community in these areas is the standard where the best we can do for leadership is the Muslim Brotherhood. That we shouldn't call them terrorists because if we want to moderate them, we will do it through democracy. When in fact, every piece of evidence shows that the revolving door of the Al-Bannas and Sayyid Qutb secret committee, which is the violent arm, is to continue to fuel chaos and violence to achieve their goals while they pretend to facilitate politics. Then he goes on to claim there's no singular group entitled the Muslim Brotherhood and then connected it to the Trump administration's Muslim ban that they would use this to radicalize Muslims. Wow. That is nuts. Absolutely nuts. And I, I found it fascinating that why didn't Brookings send Shadi Hamid? They're a Muslim scholar in residence that wrote a book on Islamic exceptionalism, where you have at least somebody who is talking about some type of exceptional interpretation of Islam who realizes he might disagree with the Brotherhood's uh, ideology per se and their method, but ultimately is presenting the same type of exceptionalism now. He does a moral equivalency with American exceptionalism. But the bottom line is, is that 
what is Brookings? And I think this is the million dollar question is here you have these bizarre ideas that most Muslims I know reject, reject the brotherhood. That's why they live in the United States. Now, should they be more active? Absolutely, they're not. They're living off the oxygen given to them of freedom here that our community might be occasionally involved in, but if Muslims were a majority, would what would be happening in this country? Would it be Egypt? Would it be Syria? What would it be? There's no evidence that we have enough of a majority to repel the Islamists, to reform against these ideas. So they need to start taking a stand. They need to start owning up to the fact that the Muslim Brotherhood is the dominant movement politically, especially in the Sunni community. And the left needs to stop shoving the Muslim Brotherhood down our throat as the Democrats of tomorrow. That somehow the pathway towards modernization and moderation is through the Muslim Brotherhood. It is through its defeat that Muslims and a more moderate Islam will rise. It is through the defeat of the Brotherhood, through the defeat of the Khomeinis, through the defeat of the AKP, through the defeat of the Jamaat Islamiyah in Pakistan that a more moderate, pro-American, pro-Israel, pro-freedom, pro-liberty interpretation of Islam and the Quran will come through. It will not come as long as these major political movements are running governments, running organizations that are allowed to operate under the guise of being Democrats who eschew violence. It's just not true. On the one hand, he was trying to say that Hamas has nothing to do with the Brotherhood. On the other hand, he was trying to say that Hamas is at least not Al-Qaeda and is fighting radicals. Which is it? A congressman from Wisconsin who was asking questions asked about Brookings. I'd ask you to look at some of his questioning. And at the end of the day, I think what was most illustrative, he said... He pulled out a New York Times piece that talked about the amount of money that came from Qatar and went to Brookings. When we come back, I want to talk to you about Qatar. I want to talk to you about why the Emir of Qatar is so, so much in love with the Brotherhood. Why? What do they expect to get out of the $15 million they had given to the Brookings Institute? And why does Daniel Benjamin deny that that has any impact on his ideas? Does he actually believe the nonsense he's saying when it comes to Muslims and the Muslim Brotherhood? If he does, then why would, the, why would there be nothing coming out of Brookings of a debate about the Ikhwan? At least on the conservative side, you saw some disagreement about whether it should be a global terrorist organization, uh, uh, whether the uh, revolving door with Al-Qaeda is a small one or a large one, there's some legitimate academic debate to be had there. But this guy was so far in the tank for the Muslim Brotherhood, there's obviously something behind it. When we come back, we'll talk about all of this in the last segment of this week's Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network. Bill O'Reilly on the Glenn Beck Program. 
Kennedy was a really good man. I had uh, an opportunity to talk with him in depth one time. We, we were stranded at an airport. Um, and uh, Hang on just a second. Hang on just a second. I just want everybody just to take a moment to think what a pleasure or a nightmare that would be, depending on your point of view, <laughs> being stranded in an airport with Bill O'Reilly. All right, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, some people went screaming from the terminal. <laughs> I would imagine, man. yes. Bill O'Reilly on the Glenn Beck Program. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jesser. This is Zudi Jesser. Welcome back to the last segment this week of Reform This. I'm uh, chuckling here at first because I, I saw a piece come out right after my testimony from, uh, I think it's Emirati Media and also from Saudi Media. And uh, Egyptian Media also positively covered it. And, you know, listen, I'm not that enamored with uh, certain dictatorships uh, being happy with my work. I'm not sure if that's uh, praise or, or not. I, I don't think so. Uh, but still, one of the things that said uh, uh, by the Emirates was that Congress rains hellfire on... Wait, wait, let me, let me get this right. Congre- congressional testimony rains hellfire upon the Muslim Brotherhood. Congressional testimony rains hellfire upon the Muslim Brotherhood. Wow. You know, I've testified many times to Congress, gotten certain people upset, uh, talking about Muslim radicalization, Muslim Brotherhood legacy groups, but never has my testimony been described as hellfire. A friend of mine, John Sutz, then uh, talked about maybe it can become a designated weapon, the uh, Jasser Hellfire missiles. (laughs) But, uh, you know... Uh, I, I chuckle, but I do think that the time for defense is over. It's time to put them on defense. The Syrian American Council, which operates as one of the largest organizations for Syrians in America, has continued to try to apologize for Muslim Brotherhood affiliates and the Syrian Muslim Brotherhood itself just because it's fighting against Assad. Yes, the primary source of cancerous genocide in Syria today is Assad. But that does not legitimize us working with the Muslim Brotherhood in Syria. It does not. And a lot of the groups that were radicals that the Obama administration decided to help, which was minimal to start with, but the ones that they did end up helping in Syria were oftentimes the Islamist radical because they were taking advice from Syrian American Council and their affiliates like the Council on American Islamic Relations, Syrian Americans like Hussam Elush out of Care LA uh, uh, and, and others that are simply ideologues of the Muslim Brotherhood, Legacy groups and same group and friends and ideologues. You saw them. There's pictures on Facebook and and Twitter with uh, Egyptian uh, groups known to be Muslim Brotherhood affiliates, Muslim Brotherhood ideologues. You saw that with uh, Islamic relief leaders and others. I talk about this at length in my official written testimony. uh, But at the end of the day, make no mistake. We have to shift the needle to the offense when it comes to fighting against the Muslim Brotherhood. So why did Brookings send Ambassador Daniel Benjamin? 
Why are the ideas of Daniel Benjamin so passionately against designating the Muslim Brotherhood? Without even, you know, maybe occasionally just a little lip service about, well, they don't like us, we don't like them. Nothing about any of the points we made, I made, about the fact that there's no internal condemnation, public reform against their ideas. He simply cited Tunisia and other unrelated things that uh, also have been, uh, there have been some connections between Al-Qaeda and Tunisia and the Muslim Brotherhood. Why would this esteemed so-called scholar from Harvard and Brookings be so pro-Brotherhood? Well, why is the Emir of Qatar so close to Sheikh Qardawi, one of the primary leading spiritual inspirations for the Muslim Brotherhood? Escaped Egypt in 1961 and went to exile where? In Qatar. Al Jazeera, the primary media arm of Qatar, is staffed by... Studies have shown 90% Muslim Brotherhood. Qatar has become basically, other than the royal family there, a Muslim Brotherhood colony, which was allowed by its own royal family. Why is that? Well, different than the other royal families that probably just have kleptocratic interests in their oil and maintaining their seat of power, as the Saudis do in the central orbit of what is the center most important mosque in islam the qataris probably have for a while thought that if there was going to be change across the middle east that they wanted to put their investment in the future which is a populist islamist theocratic movement that ultimately could control the faith community and their investment in the future was that the way to do that, and also because the royal family probably invested, just as the royal family in Saudi Arabia was invested in some of Wahhabism, maybe not all of it, since they had to be terrorized in 79 in order to come to an agreement with them. There is significant overlap with the Emir of Qatar, that family, and their ideologies that they believe and trust in Qardawi. The Emir has a close relationship with Qardawi. Qardawi is a hate preacher. A hate imam. That hashtag from Shireen Kudosi and other reformers who have been talking about exposing some of the hate imams here in the West. The grand poobah of the hate imams globally is the Holocaust denier of Sheikh Yusuf Qardawi is the anti-Israel advocate who gives fatwa supporting suicide bombing in Israel, who gave fatwa supporting the targeting of American soldiers, which is why he was not allowed to come to the United States or even to England. Sheikh Kardawi was featured in a Doha Qatar event with Brookings. So it's not just the money. They are all in with Sheikh Yusuf Kardawi. They are all in, just as they are all in with Al Jazeera, and they have basically, because of remunerative interests and because of influence of Muslims at Brookings and in their orbit, have been told that that's Islam, deal with it. There is no secular Islam that's real Islam. These are fake nominal Muslims if you hear from them. The real Islam is the Islam that believes in the Islamic State. We, 
at the American Islamic Forum for Democracy began translating Qardawi's website in Arabic in 2008-2009 where he talked about Islamic democracy, theodemocracy. That theodemocracy was not democracy, it was majoritocracy in which laws were not made based on reason, based on every individual under God, but under Islam, and especially where minorities became protected through a fascistic interpretation of the theocratic Islam. This is a problem. And it's not going to be fixed when institutes in the West continue to, in a bigoted way, believe that the Qardawis of the world are the leaders of the Islamic theology. Why, they, why do they ignore the Fatima Mernisis of Morocco? The Mustafa Akyols who wrote about Islam and liberty in Turkey. The Abdullah Naims who wrote about Islam in the secular state from Emory University. On and on. There are numbers and numbers of scholars who reject the Islamist mantra, who reject the Muslim Brotherhood, who believe not only they're a terror organization, but believe political Islam is just as bad to Islam as the Church of England and theocratic Islam Christianity was to the Christian world before the American Revolution and the revolutions of Europe. When we translated those pieces by Qardawi, he went through one, two, three, how you establish a hegemonic influence upon people in order to give them the power to vote, but not give them any other options and prove to them that secularism, whether it's Saddam's secularism or kleptocratic monarch secularism or the secularism of America is all the same. That they are all conspiring to help the Zionist project, that all these other things are all part of a anti-Islam. The world is divided into the land of Islam and the land of war. The land of Islam, he felt, should be run by democratic principles of voting, but at the end of the day, if they deviated from Islam, that there would be a check, just like he compared it bizarrely to the Supreme Court, but his check would be a final authority that rejects law that was appointed of a religious court. And this is what the AKP does in the Dianet. This is what Egypt did with Al-Azhar. This is what Qatar is relationship with Qardawi. So at the end of the day, why do the Brookings Institutes of the world, one is financial, Second is bigotry, that Muslims will and have and shall always be theocratic. Third is a Casablanca sort of uh, uh, almost racist approach to the Middle East, where if they're wearing robes and have billions in oil and they're heads of tribes and scholars that are heads of their scholarly tribes, then we should listen to them and take their, their advice and forget the people, the peasants on the streets who are uneducated, that the government leaves uneducated intentionally. Why is it that not one product has come out of the Middle East? Not one on the free market that can be sold other than oil, and that's coming from the ground, not from human being creativity. This is 
what the Brookings of the world. They're socialists. They're collectivists. They love to deal with communities in the easiest, lowest hanging fruit possible through a collective mentality that this is what the Muslims think. This is what the Arabs think. Checkbox. Forget chaos. Forget revolutions. Forget women's rights. Yeah, that's where they don't check their conscience on the principles they supposedly want here because the inconsistency of the Ambassador Benjamins of the world is that women's rights, gay rights, are only important principles for Americans and Westerners. It's not important for the Middle East. They'll never get that. Or if they do, it's 100 years off. Let's let them first drive for a few decades and then watch world wrestling entertainment for a few decades let their first movie get into Saudi Arabia of the Black Panther. Oh, that's real modernization. Yeah, that's the problem. It's more about building institutes that can help their political aspirations here domestically. Building institutes that can rehash how we can use the Muslim issue to label the right through their anti-Trump ban, anti-whatever it might be. In a political mantra, rather than one about really making those societies transform and looking at root cause analyses, never happens. That's the problem. And they say it and they breathe it for so long that they actually believe it. They actually start to believe that the Muslim Brotherhood is moderate. They forget the sword thing. They forget the make ready for war that's written on the emblem of their logo. No, never, never mind that. That's just sort of a, that's just a historical, traditional thing, I guess. He didn't even say that. It doesn't make any sense. The Muslim Brotherhood is a terrorist organization, ladies and gentlemen. Begin with the chapters, the, the, the motherships in Egypt and Yemen and Turkey, and I'm sorry, in Libya. Turkey is a much bigger problem. We'll talk about that. But don't be fooled by the brookings of the world that take millions from Qatar, from the Brotherhood, and help advance their propaganda to marginalize real liberal voices in the Muslim community. God bless. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. We'll see you next week. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.